How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to Burton Fonz. I'm Bert. And I am Vaughn. <laughs> Burton Fonz. And today, today we're talking about a special trip that I just took for my 30th birthday, which was a while ago by the time that you're listening to it. But we thought we'd talk about it today because we haven't actually gotten to talk in depth about it yet and thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about it. So what I wound up doing was I went to Scotland. And I went to Scotland for three weeks, three solid weeks. And it's mm-hmm. amazing. Nice trip. Oh, my God, it was a nice trip. Not bad, yeah. I went through all my PTO at work, but it was totally worth it to do this trip. Fuck yeah. Right, exactly. So you just recently turned 30, and I just recently um, turned 55, which is my life's goal. Yeah. Which is now I finally qualify for the senior discount at Denny's. (laughs) And I mean, get them discounts, boy. Yeah, I just get sick of you know how many generations I've I've heard already like I'm old, I don't know any bands, you know. And if you're lucky, you're gonna spend most of your life being old. So you know, get fucking used to it. True, okay? true. So happy birthday, dude! Happy birthday to you! I'm making it on your third decade. Thanks. And if you guys want like half price um, breakfast sausage at Denny's, I could probably get you calm. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't. I don't even do the breakfast sausage at Denny's. You know yeah, what I do at Denny's? It's, it's greasy shit. I do the same. I do the exact same order every time I go to Denny's. You know what I do? I go there and I get the buffalo chicken fingers and the mozzarella sticks. I've been doing that since I was like ten years old. My arteries go like this as I hear them go. <laughs> I've been doing that since I was ten. I was raised in Germany, so I like sausage, which is a killer. Don't like sausage; it's bad for you. Any angle you look at it, okay? It's MSG. Nah, it's, nah, sausage is fine. Don't don't listen to it. It's it fine. Dude, it's safe. Uh, the one at Denny's, you can just squeeze it in like a drop of grease that you could just um, lubricate your um, rifle with. Comes out. Um, I personally <laughs> lubricate like, your rifle. That's so specific. Your Keys, rifle. Keys Cafe or your. You know, yeah. Keys Cafe, on the other hand, here in the, if you're in the Twin Cities um, or nearby, is a great location where they make their own Italian sausage. That's also true. Good. That's true. Also a killer, you know, but not so much of a killer as Denny's. Uh, but anyway, um, you guys want to come with me to have um, hash browns and eggs at Denny's and bacon? I mean, we might be doing that after this. Anytime. I don't know. Probably will, in fact. <laughs> but sorry, I, uh, I got No, no, it's fine. Um, but yeah, so I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about that trip at length and actually mm-hmm. tell you about it. So what I wound up doing is going there for three weeks, I went there without a plan, really. The only thing I had was tickets there and back, and I knew that I had rented a car for the entire time I was there. Tickets? I, I'm sorry. What, what, plane tickets. Plane, so I had okay. plane tickets to get there and a plane ticket to get back. Right, right, right. Three okay. weeks later. Yeah. And I had a rental car the whole time, and that was it. Nice. By the way, I've seen some of the pictures. We're going to put them here, right? We'll show some. Yeah, because they're, they're gorgeous. So okay, I, cool. I also have some video that we can also insert. Um, just kind of like chop it up. But yeah. Fun. Oh, my gosh. So I got to tell you that I was absolutely terrified to go and do this trip um, for a couple reasons. One, it wasn't my first time out of country by any means. But it was my first time out of country by myself. And certainly without a plan. What about Sweden? Well, Sweden, I went there to meet up with people. But you Scotland, went alone, I right? went. Oh, I went alone, but I'm still meeting. Like the day I got there, I was meet. I was with people I knew the whole time. Okay. Whereas in Scotland, I didn't know anybody. I just went. Nice. And that was the best part. Like it was terrifying, but it was 
liberating and it was awesome yeah, yeah. to have this experience of just going. There's a thing about traveling alone. There is. It's very therapeutic. and Yeah. But I would say, like, the best part about it all was going there without the plan. And that, that like, it was just every day I just got to do whatever the hell I wanted to. And it was awesome. It was really hard to come home because of that. Like, coming home, like, I have my plan, I have my routine, I go to work, I do this, I do that, whatever, whatever. But there, it was like, wake up, and it's like, what the fuck do I want to do today? I don't know. Let's take a look at a map and see where I want to go. And that was it. That was how the whole trip went, like, how I did every day. Mm -hmm. And it was amazing. Oh, my gosh. So, basically, the the whole thing I did was every night before I would go to bed, I'd look at a map and go, okay, where do I want to go tomorrow? And I would find a point on the map and go, okay, that's where I want to land tomorrow. So what's between here and there that I could check out? And it would be like a three-hour drive to get there. But it would be like, all right, so I can go here. I can look at this thing. I can go here. I can look at this thing. uh, And then I'll drive for an hour and a half. I'll take a potty break. I'll eat lunch somewhere. And then I'll go check out that thing. How cool. It was awesome. I'll talk a little bit in a little bit about some of the stuff that I saw there. But just like one thing I noticed right off the bat with Scotland from getting off the plane and everything is that everyone there is just so damn nice. Mm-hmm. Like, it was almost unsettling to have people be nice to you all the time. Okay, so let me stop you right there. Yeah. That begs the question. We are living, you and I are residents, long-time residents of a place known as Minnesota Nice. Oh. So define define the difference. Minnesota in- Nice isn't nice, my man. Cool. Explain that, please. <laughs> Explain the differences. Let's, yeah. let's Any, anyone that. from Minnesota who thinks of Minnesota nice, like there's two types of Minnesota nice. There's the Minnesota nice where it's like the older people who, um, like your grandmothers and everything, and they, they're very welcoming. They'll bring you into their home and bake cookies and, you know, they'll ask questions about you and try and figure out your life. And that feels very nice. It feels very good. Mm-hmm. The real Minnesota nice is passive aggressiveness mm-hmm. where it's people upset with you, but they do it in a really nice way so that they don't actually let you know they're upset or at least they think they're not doing it. But anyone that doesn't grow up in Minnesota totally knows what's going on. Yeah, I look forward to the comment section of this. <laughs> Disagree with me. Fight me. Change my mind. Yes. So, okay. So I, I'm not being a native Minnesota. I agree in both. But I also must say that there is a niceness in Minnesota culture. That permeates everything. So, and I, I kind that of, is true. I know. I think I know what you mean, but I would like you to explain it because I think you can. I think it's an interesting thing to delve into. What was in the nice tea was something that you welcomed that was strange to you that was not. You so the, the the biggest disparity between what I experience here at home and especially in Minnesota versus, and I don't even think it's Minnesota. I think it's just an American thing versus. Um, going there and saying, you know, the Scottish people. Because here in America, you walk up to a stranger, and instantly people have, like, they've already formed an expectation of you. And depending on who you just walk up and ask, like, you'll get different responses. Because some people look at you and they go, like, you're no threat, whatever. Yeah, what's up? What's going on? And some people are genuinely nice. But it's such a mixed bag here because there are some people I could go up and talk to, and they would just completely ignore me, assuming I wanted something from them. Other people would get aggressive at me and go, why, why are you approaching me? What's what's up? What do you want? What's what's up? Mm-hmm. And in Scotland, I got zero of that. It was only nice responses. I could go up to literally anyone 
anyone and say, hey, you know, I'm not from around here. I'm a little lost. Could you help me find this location? Be like, no real problem. It's just over there. Or they'd be like, I'm sorry, I actually don't know. But that person over there might because they run X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And it was just something that was uncommon to the degree that I saw it there. That's uncommon here. You know what I mean? Yep. Would you say, and this is a real random question. I have no agenda here. Would you say that was because you had a foreign accent and maybe that made people want to be more helpful? Or or would you say that that was a clearly, explicitly just overall demeanor that everybody had? I think it's just the overall demeanor of it. I mean, there was one thing that I saw um, even in Glasgow because I heard a lot of people like when I was going about my trip and people would ask me like, oh, what are you doing in Scotland? I would tell them and they're like, holy crap, you're seeing more of Scotland than I have. And I have lived here my entire life. Which I thought was interesting too. Cause I think that's always it. that's always true with tourism. It is, but Scotland's also like a small enough place. It's like I'm from Spain. It's smaller than Texas. True. There's tons of places in Spain that I've only yeah. heard of that I would love to go visit. You know, yeah. I've lived here 20 years. I've never been to Boundary Waters. I'd love to. Uh, you know what? I guess that is also true. So there's a relativity there when you're traveling. Remember, you have that. You have the freedom. Vantage point, yeah. The, the vantage point of the freedom of the, tra- of the traveler, and you're like, right. Well, you have it right there. What are you waiting for? And you know, hey, they have to go back to work in five minutes, and maybe they can't go. There. Well, and that's something I had to keep reminding myself of too while I was there, because I kept thinking, like, man, this would be a great place to move. Like, I, I can see myself staying here, and then I went, wait, I'm only thinking this because I'm in like vacation. If brain. I were independently wealthy, yeah, exactly. You, you know what I mean? It's like because I can get up and do whatever I want every day right now. If I had to actually like keep up. A, uh, like a routine the whole time and go do like a night of five. And then I'm like, well, maybe I've got time on the weekend, but don't want to spend three hours, seven hours driving out to this place to like spend a day there and then come back. No. You get used to some things, you know, like now you're saying that now you're actually putting an, an example uh, and you're picturing, you're painting a picture. You wouldn't necessarily have to be driving for two hours. You could be in the train reading a book that you love, you've always wanted to read. I mean, there's different things. In, I guess that's true. It, it depends on the type of travel. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, but the lifestyle would change in very enriching ways in some ways. The only thing is you do miss the other stuff you become accustomed to that is no longer there. Right, right. But, um, yeah, so anyway, that was just something I thought was very interesting overall with all of that. I think, honestly, though, the best part about the trip that I took – it. I mean, the people were great. The places I saw were great. But the reason I had so much flexibility is because I rented a car. Okay. And renting a car, like, it really wasn't that much, surprisingly. No, I... I, It was far less than I thought it was going to be. I travel a lot to Europe, so, yeah, I know that. Because I was thinking, like, rental car for three weeks, like, dang, how much is that going to be? Very affordable. Actually, the longer the longer you stretch it out, the more affordable it becomes. Is that true? Yeah, because it, it's like you know selling bulk. I guess that's true. Almost. Yeah. The only thing is, what I do know is that after a month, it resets. Oh, really? So you can't do it. At least in Spain, you can't do it more than a month. But, but the good thing about wanting to do it more is that now the agency, especially if you're dealing with an agency, if you're not dealing with a website, yeah. the agency wants your business. So now they're like, don't worry, I'll make it really painless. Right. Just give us a call and I'll just switch over the dates. So now you have a rapport going. If you can build that up, it's out. It, you can get a good deal. That's true. So, But yeah, I mean, honestly, the most expensive part, or I should say the most expensive part that would have happened with renting a car was, so it's day one. I've been traveling for... 
12 hours or so, like with the flights and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm tired. Right. And I get there and I'm like, okay, my first destination, the only thing I knew, like I figured out on the plane was the first destination I have is three hours away from Glasgow where I landed. I'm just going to pick up my rental car and go. I didn't really think about it. So I get there. I'm tired. Like, yeah, the first thing you do I'm is feeling ragged. You go to a place, you eat, you have a couple of beers, you know. Well, I didn't do that. And you stay for a couple of nights wherever you are, and then you get your energy. Oh, you know? I didn't I didn't want to spend a couple of nights wherever I was the first night. That's very I wanted to like get up and go. I was excited to explore. Right, right. But that was the problem. It was because I got there after twelve hours of travel. I was exhausted. I picked up the car, forgot I didn't forget while I was there, but like as soon as I got there, I remembered, oh yeah, they drive on the opposite side of the road from what I'm used to, so I have to like reverse everything in my head. So that honestly took me about a, that I've never a couple, four or five days to get used to. Well, that's the thing. It's because if it takes you that much, you can't space out for one single second because oh, no. you have the wrong side of the car on the wrong side of the road. Right. So that's it. That honestly, I've never tried that. That really scares me. Right. Remind me later if we have time to tell you a really funny story about that. Okay. About driving on the other side of the road. So it's <laughs> kind of funny. Um, but after trying to get used to that and being tired and exhausted and terrified, I had to drive three hours out to get to the next destination that I wanted to stay at that night. Mm-hmm. That was a bad idea because while I was driving, not realizing that. They're normal on like a little two lane highway. So one per, one going one direction and one going the other direction. Little two lanes is like seventy miles an hour, going over like these tight turns, bumpy roads, and narrow streets, w- and everything. Which people know how to navigate, except you. Yes, right. Yeah. Because I'm the foreigner. Right, right. And everybody's just like cruising through it, and you're like, yeah, white knuckled. Well, white knuckled. I'm like, when I want to keep up with traffic, so I'm not like pissing off the people behind me because it's right. only two lanes. They can't get around me easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Sometimes it'll like split up, and they can like go around if there's no traffic. Yeah. But I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? Truth is, truth is, there are those guys. I mean, there might be a grandma. I, people are not that. I, I understand. Like, but you might I find, didn't want to be right, that person. Gotcha, gotcha. And because of that, I. Uh, I kind of hit like a pothole where the road was crumbling and uh, <laughs> I might have gotten a flat tire on the first day I was there. Oh, dude. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and so, you, you're, you're like still tired from the trip and you get a flat. Well, so it wasn't a, it wasn't like an insta flat. I, I, what happened was that the tire dipped down and scraped against the road because the road was like crumbling and falling off and it's a narrow, like they're all narrow roads over yeah. there. Um, and it scraped the inner wall of the tire. So when I got out and I looked at it, I was like, tire looks fine. Because it was on the inside, on the back but of it. So I couldn't see it. Pressure. Started losing pressure. And I was like, oh, well, the like the tire pressure light came on. So like that could be because I jostled it or something. Like I was coming up with excuses. Yeah. And I went and I got to where I was going. And I was like, all right, I'm going to park the car. Now I can relax. Now I'm going to go out, have dinner, have a like a, a drink or two. And I'll go walking around. And then I'll come back to the car. And I'll take it to the place where I'm sleeping tonight. So I did that. Went out and got food, got drinks. I was like, man, this, this little town is great. So I was in Fort William in Scotland. I was yeah. just walking around the town center and checking places. I was like, this is great. First day in Scotland. Everything's all bright and fresh. The people are so nice. Like, I, I probably look like shit. And they're still like, oh, no problem. And they're, you know, they're being very respectful. 
And then I go back to my car. And I'm like, Zillicock is leaning. <laughs> and I walk over to the side. Oh, and it's man. just on the rim. Oh. Tire completely flat. And I'm like, what time is it at this point? Uh, it's like 8 p.m. How are you with jet lag? Oh, I was dead tired. Right. I was thinking I was just going to get the car, go to the place so where I was sleeping, and it, just check out. It's 8 p.m. over there. Your body feels like it's, what, 2 a.m.? Uh, it's a six-hour difference. So... Just add six, yeah. Yeah. So it's eight. So it's eight p.m. Yeah. So it's two a.m. there, or my body feels like it's two a.m. Right, right. After traveling, too. Yeah. Nice. Yep. So holy cow! With all of that, then I managed to drive the car with the dead tire over to a gas station, filled the tire full of air, and was like, you know what? I'll figure it out in the morning. So I filled it completely full of air. It got me to where I needed to go. I fell asleep, and then I woke up the next morning, and I called Avis. It was like, hey, what do I do about this? And they were like, oh, no problem. We got this covered. All you got to do is call this person uh, who works for this agency, and they'll like do it for you. And now you're arrested. Now I'm arrested. So that's different. That's so, but that was like the big hassle day one. Like Day two, I took care of that, and the rest of it was smooth sailing. I never had another issue with the car or driving on the wrong side of the road or anything like that. I just I was like, nice. got the worst out of the way, day one. All right, now we can just do the rest of the trip. <laughs> That's what I call a good start. That's true. That's true. But I was so glad that I did it simply because I could just stop wherever. So it wasn't like I was taking a tour bus to because these right. are the same locations, some of them, that you could take tour buses to. Mm-hmm. But driving my own car, if there was something along the way where I was like, oh, man, that just looks like a little pull-off on the road, but there's a path that goes away from the pull-off, like – what does that path go to? It goes up into those mountains. I want to see that. Mm-hmm. So I can just stop off anywhere and do that. That's yeah. That's really interesting because um, my my sister just was there in, in Spain. Um, yeah, and she we've been going to Spain as you know for for decades. She lives in the states too. Um, she was there in Spain for a month, and this is the first time that she did not rent a car. Mm-hmm. And the commentary was like, "I feel so liberated." Really? So that's awesome. it. It just I guess it just depends on what the agenda is, and because you've explained it really well. I mean, you're traveling around, you're exploring, so the car comes in really handy. Right. She's going there with her kids, with her whole family. With a purpose. She wants to be, you know, she can take public transportation and everything, just be relaxed and be with the children and not be in the car with the children yapping in traffic in Madrid. Yeah. You know, which is... And I guess that is also the big difference. Postal-inducing I loved driving in Scotland. Loved it. Everywhere I went, it was Mm. just... And probably because I've just, it's my, it was technically my second time, but the first time I had spent like a couple days and that was it. This time it was three weeks and everywhere I would drive, it's just these gorgeous sceneries. Mm, it is beautiful. Like, it's just a beautiful countryside and it was just constantly like ooing and aahing at everything I was driving through. And even though sometimes you're driving down these streets, in fact, what's, Scared me the first at most, but then became my favorite thing to do after I experienced for the first time were these one, like they're just one lane streets. Okay. And you can have two cars going different directions, coming at each other on the same street. And they have little tiny pull off areas where you just kind of like nudge over and just enough to let the other car pass. Mm -hmm. And this is a very common thing throughout Scotland, Mm -hmm. like in a lot of like the areas that aren't as populated. I'd say, I'd say in Europe. Okay, so just in Europe. Yeah. It was my first time really. It's technically my second time driving. Is Iceland a European country? 
Mm, I don't know, man. Or is it separated? I think... Because I drove in Iceland. I think it's out of Union. Okay. So, regardless, I, I had driven in Iceland, um, and there was a little bit of that, but not nearly as much, because the entire population of Iceland is less than the population of the city of Minneapolis. Also, Iceland doesn't have urbanization that goes as far back as other parts in Europe, where there was... These are like cart horse... Right, like horse carts. Like that's what the original use of this was. So there's this town in Spain that I go to a lot when I'm in Spain. Um, it's a small little town near Madrid, and it has one main that one main street that changes direction mm-hmm. with a with a stoplight. So you actually get there, and it's the wrong direction. You see these cars coming. You have to be stopped. You see these cars coming. Yeah, and also those cars stop, and the Stoplight opens for you, so yeah. now you go in that direction while the other oncoming traffic they're oh, yeah. on, the, on the nuts, like you just say, like on the side. Yep. So you just come past them, and then it changes direction again. So there's, yep. they only have room for one car, and it's the main road of the town. So yep. there is, uh, there is a bunch of places like that in Scotland too. Yeah, but it was more like bridges, like bridges going over things and everything. Mm, right, yeah. And, you know, these are also small cars, typically. Like, right. you don't see trucks taking these roads. Yeah, well, you, you could not take a, yeah. Like a semi or car. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just not practical. Exactly. Um, God, that was just, it was wild. But that became my favorite thing because those roads were so remote. And, like, I got comfortable driving 60 miles an hour down this little farm road, just taking in the scenery and then mm. slowing down and stopping when I needed to to let people pass. And the best part is, is that literally every single time, every time you would pull off and somebody would pass or they would pull off and you would pass them, there's always a wave. Mm-hmm. Every single time. Yeah. I would never get that here. Well, life is too short not to be civil in close quarters. I know, but people are just like... I see you. I acknowledge you. Like yeah. either thank you for pulling over, or I appreciate you slowing down and letting me do this. Like it's just so nice, so nice. Another aspect of this trip that I really wanted to make sure that I did is that even though I was going there on my own, mm-hmm. and I think part of that was just because I didn't want to try and coordinate with people to like meet up and set times and do all this stuff. Like I just wanted to go and be able to do whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But I did, however, reach out to a bunch of my friends and say, hey, I'm going to Scotland during these times. And if you happen to have the means and can get there, let me know when you arrive and we can meet up and do stuff. Mm-hmm. And I opened it up like that. And I was actually surprised that I got a f- like four friends of mine to actually say, nice. hey, we'll meet you there. It was about halfway through my trip where I actually had um, – Two couple friends of mine, like two couples of friends, um, meet up on the same day. So I had one couple coming from Sweden who live in Sweden right now. um, And they came to meet me. And I had another couple um, who were actually from here. They just happened to be on a trip on a cruise. And I think it was with National Geographic. So it's one of their like Arctic Explorer ones, but it was around the Northern Arctic. Mm -hmm. And so they were just coming down off a trip from Greenland. Nice. And going around like the Northern Arctic Circle. Yeah. So coming down off of that. And they flew into Scotland after that to uh, meet up with me. And we all kind of hung out for a few days. That's awesome. Which was really, really awesome. Like I didn't didn't actually think anyone would take me up on the offer when I was like, hey, I'm going to be in Scotland for three weeks. If you can make it there during that time, let's hang out. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. Because I, I bet it's a very different bonding experience that you have with a friend if you have it. Oh, like 
in a different place. In a completely different country. Oh, yeah. yeah. More so when it's like... bonding thing also there. Right? right. And it's not like me going to Sweden and meeting up with those friends because they know Sweden. They're from Sweden. Well, mm. one of them's from Sweden and the other one moved there to be with him. But the fact that they are there all the time now, like they just know Sweden. Mm-hmm. And so it's not the same as everyone being on the same page of we don't know where anything is. Let's right. figure it out. Right, right. And that was the awesome part where it's like, what do we want to do today? I don't know where anything is. Me either. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's let's do some re- let's ask around. Let's do some research. Right. Let's find some places to go. And especially because one of them was she started her third trimester of pregnancy with her second child while she was there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Another one of my friends has pretty severe dietary restrictions. So we were working with like a lot of things that we had to like, okay, well, we're not going to go hiking and exploring too much because we don't want to be on our feet for too long because one of our friends is pregnant. And this one over here, like we have to be very selective about where we go to eat because while the rest of us could probably eat there, she may not be able to. So we need to make sure that we have that accommodated for. And it was just like a really interesting like puzzle every day to like, what do we want to do? How can we do it? Let's research some options. Let's look it up. Nice. So what? So okay. So give us a couple of examples of the type of planning you would do, considering the existing logistics. Right. So I think the only the only thing that changed from like my routine of what I was doing, like I had talked about before, where I would like look up the day before I want to go to here, mm-hmm. and I would just kind of pick stuff along the way. Yeah. Since we only really stayed in two towns. Okay. We would just say, okay, what are the key things we want to do during the day? And then we would look up like a handful of like options essentially to be like, okay, well, we could do this, could do this, could do this. And just depending on how the day felt, yeah, we were like, all right, what's our list? Pick one of these things. All right, let's just go do that. Okay, cool. Let's grab a taxi and go over there and do that. Uh, like one of the best examples was being in Edinburgh. And it was like, okay, we all know we want to try and see Edinburgh. the Edinburgh castle. Yeah. So we're like, all right, well. I mean, it's on the top of a hill, so it's going to be all uphill to get there. So already we're thinking of the pregnant woman, like, okay, so we need to make sure that we have places that um, let's not let's just all agree that we're not going to worry about stopping. We're not going to be in a time frame. We're not going to have our time to get there or anything like that. Yeah. Um, let's also agree that we could do like trinket shopping along the way because one, it gives us a break to stop walking, and two. One of the other people in the group really loves like going to those like really crappy tourist shops and like finding like little things to mm-hmm. kind of get because those are the mementos they collect or like yeah. those things in the shitty tourist. The little statuette with uh with the kilt. I, I think the ones that um this person gets are the like the fridge magnets. Okay, yeah. And so they get like fridge magnet, like the cheapo fridge magnets, yeah. but they get them for everywhere they go. So my like, friend went to Edinburgh and bought me the shitty fridge magnet. <laughs> kind of like that, but yeah. Like, the more kooky the magnet is, the more they're more likely to buy them. Right. Um, but that that was... So we just had, like, agreements on that. Mm-hmm. And then for food, like, one of them is celiac disease. And so we have to be like, okay, so food places, we just have to make sure they have plenty of options for this person to eat. So what do, what do celiac disease people so eat? It, not bread. Okay. Anything oh, so but gluten. Gluten. Okay, good. That's it. the yeah, that's got it, got it. that's the gluten deficiency one. So you could like go on black black monch all day and you'd be good. On what? You know what black monch is? No. The blood sausage of the Scots. No, we couldn't actually because of some of the stuff they mix into it um is gluten because of oh. some of the grains and everything. Right, 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 okay. So we actually looked that up. In fact, we actually went specifically to a place because I so one thing talking about food real quick. Um, that I had when I was there. I think I did not go a single day in Scotland without having haggis. 
of some sort. You like haggis, huh? I fucking love haggis. Haggis is my new comfort food. Say it, say it. We can bleep it. Say it again. <laughs> no, no. I, I just, I love haggis. And I had it literally every day that I was there. Hmm. I also, I if it wasn't haggis, it was blood sausage. So it was like I had one of those two yeah. literally every day that I was there. Mm-hmm. And it's just so good. Yeah. So good. It was just such this like wonderful comfort food. And it has an amazing taste. And I don't know why people rag on it so much, but I think it's just because like they think about what it's made out of and how it used to be prepared. We'll have we'll have a jostle of sticks about blood sausage when we do the food episodes. <laughs> Probably. Because there's also that. But there's it's just the fact that... preferences with blood sausage. That's too. true. Um, but I think it's the fact that haggis was traditionally cooked inside of a sheep's bladder. Mm-hmm. And I think that put a lot of people off, you know? That's just people overthinking it. It's like, you know, if you start overthinking stuff, you realize that cheese is rotten milk. Also true, which if, you don't really get to... If you start pushing stuff, you know, and if, if you think about it that way, you really don't get what it is. Right. The fermentation changes what something is. Let's talk about that with the food stuff, because I didn't want to derail you, because you have a beautiful journey to talk about. <laughs> I don't want to get into food, because if, if this guy not get into food, you know, we'll be here all week. We'll do, we'll do another episode of that. Sure. At another point. But... For this one, because of the way that the like the oats and the different grades that they put in with the haggis to like make it that, you know, that consistency that it is, it wasn't gluten free. Right, right, and so right. I was like, oh, I love haggis. I love haggis. And I was talking about it. And so then the other members of the group were like, all right, we'll go out to this place and we're all going to get the haggis meals. But this person can't. The blood sausage in Spain, the best one is made with rice. So it's also gluten free. Oh, and you celiac people out there, get off the food subject. Get off the food subject. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why you keep bringing up this blood sausage thing when I'm trying to tell a story. Because I, because <laughs> I get the chip, the Spanish chip on my shoulder with. Like, yeah, I know you're very proud of it. Our food is better. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> very proud of the Spanish yeah. food. Yep. <laughs> ask any, ask any Spaniard. I'm not the only one. To be fair, it's very delicious. You know, and I had convinced every other people person in this group to like, okay, you've convinced me. Like, I'll look over it. I'll try it out. And so everyone had tried it except for this person in our group because she just couldn't. So what we wound up doing was we actually found, I think it was in Edinburgh, was a place that was just a whis- haggis and whiskey bar. Mm-hmm. And that's it. It was haggis and scotch. Oh, shit. <laughs> in Edinburgh? In Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, and it's just right off the Royal Mile. I don't remember what street it was on. I would tell you, so if you ever get to go there, you could go there. But just look for the Haggis and Whiskey Bar. You can't miss it. I mean, it it pops right up on a Google search. And uh, it was amazing because they had a gluten-free Haggis. And so she got there and was like, oh, my God. I finally get to do it. I finally get to try Haggis. Can she have scotch? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so she can have scotch, scotch. Is gluten free? Huh? Scotch is scotch is yeah because of the part of the fermentation process it like strips it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a story for a different day. Yeah. yeah. But yes. So scotch is fine. And also, remember to tell you the story about my two hick friends in the eighties who drove into the Highlands and went into a bar in the Highlands and ordered scotch on the rocks. I think the bird stopped <laughs> chirping. <laughs> anyway, that kind of wraps up. But like that—that that was an example of uh, yeah. 
like some of the planning we'd have to do with the friends and just like sometimes when it would like all mesh together and all work like it was just a beautiful thing it sounds like an awesome trip it was great but to your point two people going into scotland and ordering a scotch on the rocks like that is i mean well these two guys i'm surprised they weren't murdered on the spot i think they drove in with an oppo manta too that they 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 got across the ferry to it was it was a disaster (laughs) these two guys were just a these two clowns were just something else. Um, <laughs> seriously, I almost drew a comic strip about them because they were just a, a, they were that would a be awesome. Care. You know, seriously, they walked into a Highland bar, which already in and of itself, the town they were in, everybody just stopped and looked at them, just stared at them when they walked in. Yeah, sure. You know, two idiots in their twenties with black leather jackets and like skinny black jeans. Yeah, in a Highland bar. Yep, where they they the whiskey comes whiskey, not scotch, comes out of from a tap. And it's served at room temperature. And you just walk in there, everybody stops talking, the birds stop chirping, and they just order for everybody to hear a scotch on the rocks, and they just get stared down. Well, there's a very good reason for that. Yeah. So I went to many distilleries uh-huh. while I was there. Did you count them? Uh, I think I went to 11 distilleries wow. while I was there. Mm-hmm. It, was amazing. it was a good trip, dude. <laughs> Sounds like it. Uh, And the best part about, like, going to those different distilleries is that when you're getting, like, the bottles of scotch here, like, they come in, like, the big bottles of scotch, right? Yeah. They had, like, these little piquito bottles that were, like, little teeny tiny Uh that you could get. And it's, like, I don't know, five or six drinks in them. Yeah. But I would get those little bottles and take it with me. So, like, in between places that had distilleries, like, I would get to my little Airbnb wherever I was staying. I would like make sure I had my little bottle and I would have like a little glass at night because <laughs> I had like I was just I did the tour and so you got like the the tasting glass that comes yeah. with it so I just take one of the glasses that I had from one of the tours and I would just every night have like a little dram of whiskey because I got like those little bottles to like carry me through to like the next distiller. <laughs> I'm kind of glad because I thought at first you were going to say that you would just drive around the country you know, with your oh hell no with your scotch. If I had done that, there's a very real chance I would have gotten big trouble because Scotland has a, an absolute zero tolerance policy when it comes to that. You can't even go out and have a beer with dinner and then drive home, even if you're perfectly fine. But if there's anything on you, like on your breath when you get pulled over, so zero if, tolerance. If memory serves, uh, public transportation system is not that bad where they are either, right? It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah it's pretty good for the most part. Because I moved. When I went there, I, I didn't drive. I yeah. was 16. I moved in public transport. So, yeah. The only problem that I would have had with public transit and the type of trip that I was doing and that like rent, the rental car like afforded me was that some of these places I went to were very remote. Yeah, the sightseeing does, doesn't work. Right. For that. So if I was only going to like some of the bigger villages and cities, yeah, yeah it would have been fine. But because of some of the places I went to were like – it was a village like out on the coast that had maybe 30 people that lived there. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. It was amazing. That is beautiful. I mean, I have, it has been a long time since I've stayed in a place that was that silent at night. Hmm. No people, no cars on roads nearby. Nothing. Yeah. How about the stars? Stars were gorgeous when you could see them. Because there was a lot of clouds oh, I all of the time. I forget because the reason I say that very is rainy. In the other places where I've been, that are similar that I could relate to when you said that one of the most silent places. Yeah. Um, 
for for example the Balearic Islands. Yeah. Uh, the most famous one is Ibiza, but you know Ibiza is kind of a jet set happening rave place. Yeah. But the other islands around there are not like that. They're just like small little Mediterranean islands, beautiful. Yeah. And not only was it really silent, but when you looked up at the sky, because there's a lot less contamination mm-hmm. and there's a lot less human lights. There's a lot less cities in the vicinity. It's in the middle of a Mediterranean. Yep. There's no light the, pollution. Yeah. The, the star, you see like triple the number of stars that you would see normally. Yep. So it's just really amazing. It's like somebody sprinkled. I didn't think that existed because I'd never seen that those many stars. Really? But there's parts of the world where you see a ton more stars than what you would, you know. So you, and I remember because the first night I was drunk, so I just like kind of like passed out almost in the in the field on the hill, <laughs> and then I started looking at the sky. And I was like. So, but I forgot it's Scotland because when I was there in Scotland, there's only half an hour a day of sun, and it was at seven a.m. Uh, okay, well, that must have been like more towards winter then. No, no, that was August. So I went in July. I went in July, and we had it was sunny from four thirty a.m. until about ten thirty p.m. Wow, it was cloudy. All month that I was there. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. There was clouds all the time. But, like, that was the sun cycle. So, like, it was daytime. Oh, I see. From, like, 4.30 a.m. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All the way until 10.30 p.m. But I can understand, like, not having direct sunlight. Because, yeah, it's just cloudy all the time. If it's not raining, it's cloudy. The worst thing, uh, weather-wise, and I'm just going to finish this up and I'll get back to my point that I was attempting to make with the whiskey thing. Uh, but with the weather, the worst thing that you can, like, experience there is what they call a soaking mist. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's just foggy, but the fog is so dense, it coalesces on your skin like rain. It's like you just came out of a swimming pool. Yep. And unless you have a rain jacket on and like everything, you're just going to get soaked through completely. And you're not going to feel it happening until it's too late. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just like you're like, oh, it's just kind of foggy outside. And 10 minutes later, you're drenched. So unless you have like all the rain gear, the problem is, is that this happens when it gets really warm and it's also really humid. Mm. And so it's just really hot and uncomfortable in this rain jacket. And you're like, oh, I'm sweating on the inside and it's, I want to take this off. But if I do, I'm going to get drenched and then I'll just be miserable the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was just a really interesting dynamic with all of that. Yeah. The point I was trying to make with the whiskey, though, is that going to these distilleries, you know, I did the tour at some of them. Some of them I didn't really need to because the biggest differences between distilleries were mostly the copper stills and the way that they had their big copper stills shaped. Okay. Because that would adjust not just like how long they spent on each of the processes, but the shape of the copper still and how long this um, the alcohol actually stays in contact with the copper actually changes the chemistry and the taste of each one of them, too. So that's why, like, all these scotches and everything, it's not just, like, the time spent in things or, like, the aging or the barreling. Like, it's also, like, just being in contact with copper for a certain period of time Mm. can change the chemical taste of it. Mm. But when I went on these tours, first one I remember very clearly, guy looks me dead in the eye because I was the only American there. And he says, anyone who puts scotch over ice is destroying a beautiful liquid that has spent 18 years or longer to get into your mouth. You're killing it. You're destroying it. All that work, gone. 
all the finessing, the fine-tuning, the, the work, the dedication, people's blood, sweat, and tears just destroyed. Yeah. Because you completely changed the chemical balance of the liquid. Yeah, because you added water to it. Well, he said that if you're going to add water to it, you literally only need two drops of tap water. He was specific about tap. Because temp- because temperature um, or just... No, no, no. Because tap water still has like some minerals and stuff in it. And so that'll change the taste versus distilled water, which is like you're just... You're, it's the same flavor profile. You're just putting liquid in. Hmm. So you have to use tap water if you want to like add anything to also it. Depends. Literally only two drops also of water. Also depends what type of tap water because I wouldn't put tap water from, from Michigan, for instance. Well, I, I guess that's true. But his example there, because it's Scotland, he was like, if you're going to do it, do it with tap water here. And it's literally like, boop, that's, boop, that's interesting. two drops. Yeah. And that's all you need. And that's an if. That's if you that's want if, to add water. Because you should really drink it at room temperature. Oh, you should, no, no, no. It shouldn't – it should – like the water – should also be at room temperature. No, no, I mean, I mean a whiskey. Yeah, the whiskey has to be room temperature. So I, I used to drink. I, I, I am a culprit. Like I used to drink Scotch on the rocks for years. Yeah, and then I started drinking it properly in thimbles, you yeah. know, and at room temperature or in a, what, what did you call it? Did you say dram? What is a dram? Is so that? a dram is just like a measurement, or it's, okay. it's less than a shot because a shot is like what you would call like a two finger pour. Okay, essentially, but a dram is like it's a single like. When you think of a, a one finger pour, like that's the the how much you're missing out of the bottle is like oh okay how much the width of a finger that's so pour into I, a glass. I did not know that. Yeah, yes. thank you. That's fascinating. And so that's considered like one pour of whiskey. Okay. So like a shot when you get a shot of whiskey here in America <laughs> or in the, the United it, States, in the United States, I should say we're gonna have a caption every time we say that. <laughs> um, when you get a shot in the United States, that's like three drinks of whiskey. <laughs> In Scotland. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, it's a. How much did it cost? Uh, it was like. A shot. A full shot? So, three drinks of whiskey? No, no, a, a Scottish shot. Um, if you go so, to one s- drink of whiskey would be. I think it was like 12 pounds. So, that was like. It's like 15 $17, maybe? Like 15 bucks. Okay. Yeah. Probably 16 17 Yeah, okay. And that is. Two fingers? That's a finger. That is a, a dram. And you're supposed to just sip that, that is tw- over a that's long period 12 of time. Pounds. Yep. Because you're supposed to just savor, sip, right. and enjoy it. That is heavy. Mm-hmm. What about one of those bottles? Uh, the bottle was like 30, 30 pounds. Okay. Like the small bottles, yeah. like 30 pounds. And those are five drinks? Five or six drinks. Okay. Hey, can we have a shot right now? <laughs> uh, actually, we could. I'm not kidding at all. Do you guys mind if we have a shot? I think we should so, have a shot. In this is not uh, whiskey, but I got this in Germany. Uh, this shots. is grappa. Oh, grappa from Italy. Oh, no, but this this one we need to stuff. This is not Italy. It's from Germany. Grappa is originally from, from Italy. I know, but I got this one in Germany. But if we're going to drink this, we should put like stuffing in our, in our thing and, and play the Godfather. <laughs> no, no. Um, but it was about this size bottle. Okay. And this was about 30 pounds. Nice. It has a little peppers in it. Because uh, it's pepperoncini. Pepperoncini grappa. And that's from Germany? Pepperoncini too? <laughs> yeah. Dude, shut up. Um, uh, did, did, did you have scotch stuff though that we could sample? Because that would be beautiful. Oh, no. I got this in Italy. Never mind. Right. Pepperoncini in Germany. That's like the, the German part of Milan. Well, no. Because it was... I got it from a place in Germany that was like a Italian exotic right. liquor store. And they had other stuff. Right, right. 
Uh, but yeah, so we can actually have... Why, why don't we sample one in the symbol while we keep doing the Scottish thing? I think we should do it. Uh, okay. We're going to drink some scotch. Motherfuckers. For everyone's edification, this is from the Talisker Distillery, which is actually a distillery in or on the Isle of Skye. Now, I got this bottle while I was there. It's not a super expensive bottle. It's not like one of their super limited edition ones, but I did get this one while I was there. So this mm. is from Scotland, which means it's going to have a different flavor profile than even if we got a Talisker from America, okay. like at the liquor store down the street. And I see it's a malt. It's not a blend. Correct. Good. Single malt, I should say. So the way that I was taught to do this was that if we're doing like a pour, it would be about that much. Okay. That sound is awesome. <laughs> I love that the mic is picking it up. Nice. So we'll set that there. Now what we should do is kind of swirl this around. Okay. And we'll give this a little taste. So this is the way I was taught to do it. No, I'm not trying to be pretentious. I'm just sharing my knowledge with you. No, you're right. You could don't even worry about it. You think this is pretentious? Fuck you. Um, sorry. <laughs> so get a little sniff of this, and then uh, okay, Some So you get kind of the, the flavor of that. Yeah. Very smooth. It's very nice. I like single model. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. even remember. I used to like that. Yeah. But you also notice like... It's speedy too. Yeah, exactly. So one big difference about um, like scotch here versus scotch that you can get there, even versus scotch you can get in Japan, mm-hmm. is because even though it's all... if it's if, First of all, if it's labeled scotch, it had to have been bottled in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Pure. Like, just plain and simple. Mm -hmm. But they have different flavor profiles depending on uh, where it's being sent. So people in the U.S. and everything, we have apparently more appreciation of, like, darker bourbon smoky flavors. So they'll go, like, extra heavy on peat, extra heavy on, like, bourbon flavors, more of that caramel flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, And it'll be a lot more – it won't be as sweet. It smells like aftershave. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was sweeter actually I thought, no no no, no. It's, it's, it's not sweeter here in Europe and Scotland and everywhere people there t- their flavor profiles their palates tend to be like the blend so they like like the more 50-50 stuff mm-hmm. so it's like it's a little bit more of the bourbon and a little bit more of the sherry flavors mm-hmm. whereas the sherry flavor that's more tends to be associated with the sweetness so that's like more of the plum and the, the fig and all that stuff yep. and that's more of the eastern side of the world mm-hmm. and that's where those flavors are really appreciated so they have in a big batch they'll choose barrels to send off to different countries depending on where it is because of different flavor profiles that they've you know, like mm-hmm. done the research for over years nice. and years and years. I mean, you can get stuff like Lafroy here. Well, it has that PD. I mean, yes, it'll, it'll still be... So it, you can... My point is, is that mm-hmm. unless you get the bottle there, it'll have a different flavor profile being from here. So even if we got an exact same bottle of this here, mm-hmm. there will be differences in flavors that you could mm-hmm. taste. Because it's just not shipped here. Hmm. So unless you have it imported directly from there, right. it would be a different flavor profile. Now, for adding water, the way that I was taught to do this, they gave us a little water thing like this. And I'm like, oh, are we supposed to just pour what we want in? No. Don't do that. You will 
You might get stabbed. I'm just saying. You might get stabbed. The way that I was taught to do this is that you take a glass like this, pour the water out completely, and what you're left over with is just enough to do two drops. <laughs> Love the little ritual part of it. And that's all you need. And if you mix that up and have a different taste now, you should, in theory, notice different flavors. I don't know if now I'm suggested by what you said, but I would have sworn that this wasn't different. Yeah. So what happens is that the water, even just two drops, changes the chemical composition enough to let it open up a little bit. Yeah. And it releases a few more of those flavors. So like for me, this kind of lost that harshness of the peat smoke. Yep. And now it gets a little sweeter. But it also it also kind of widened like almost literally. Mm-hmm. Like I, I felt it widen more through my through my palate through my throat. Mm-hmm. And the other thing it wasn't and I might be like I said, I might be like now hyper self suggested with the story, but mm-hmm. stories do make things taste different. That's also true. So that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I, yeah. Today and I now learned. we get to enjoy this for the rest of this how did recording. You pronounce that? Gaelic teach me how to do that because I think Slancha. Slancha? Yeah. Slancha. Motherfucker. Which means good health. Yeah, in Gaelic. I just I just try to say it as I read it, which of course is not how you pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure I'm probably butchering it too, but No, at least you've heard it. I've never heard it said that loud. And if I have when I was in Scotland, I was too young and too drunk to record it. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. So let's keep going. This is a fascinating story. Yes. Uh, let's talk about uh, – so the next thing I want to talk to you about um, – I'm going to skip ahead a little bit, kind of skip around. There's a couple things I want to talk about. And I want to talk about Loch Ness. Oh, nice. And the whole – like. The mythos and the legacy behind Loch Ness. When I went to Scotland, you have to understand. I was like, I don't know the next time I'm coming back. I don't. I know that I could come here at any point, but I just I don't know when that's going to be. So I want to make sure that Loch Ness was a place that I was going to visit. Well, that was a really interesting thing. So I will say that the road coming from, I think I came from Isle of Skye over to Loch Ness, and there is a road that just hugs this sheer cliff that goes around the lock for most of the way there. Mm. It is one of the most fun, gorgeous drives I've done the entire time I was in no Scotland. White knuckles. There was white knuckles the first time. Okay. Because the first time I was terrified. It's like hugging it the edge of this. Scariest. It's hugging the edge of this cliff. Yeah. There's people like zooming past you. I mean, there were like buses going around me at certain times and I was terrified that was just the first time I did it though I actually did Black Ness twice because the first time I went there um, a thunderstorm moved in and it would just poured rain to the point where I couldn't even be outside this was on the first trip not this one or is this on this trip? It was on this trip. So I went to Loch Ness twice during this trip. Oh, got it. Okay. Uh, but the first time I drove through there it was just downpour the worst downpour I had the entire time I was there you don't may you may not know me, but I had to go to Loch Ness because I have been infatuated with that myth, that legend for decades now. Ever since I learned what the Loch Ness monster was. So I had to go there. I had to see what was up. So the road going up there, uh, up to this little town that was like the Loch Ness town to go to. It had like all the Loch Ness monster mm-hmm. stuff associated with it. It also has a castle right nearby too. It's one of like the 
top castles to go see in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, but this road is on a sheer cliff and it's just two lanes. And you're trying to drive like 60 miles an hour along tight Why? turns around this sheer cliff. Why? Because that's the speed limit. <laughs> I didn't make it up, but uh, it was terrifying the first time. And then driving this little uh, Volkswagen Golf that I had there, after I got used to it, it just became fun. Mm. Because then it was like it was like a fun road, especially if you're going um, if you're going up the side of it where you're hugging against the wall, you feel a little more protected because you're like the worst that's going to happen is like kind of like bounce off the wall a little bit. Yeah. Versus the other side where you're like, the worst that happens is I drive off into the lock. Into, yeah. So it's like a into the 40 foot, it's like a, yeah, it's like a hundred foot drop into the water and the water, the angle of the water there is so steep that 10 feet off the shore. And we actually measured this with a, a depth guide on a boat while I was there. Okay. 10 feet off the shore. It's yeah. already a hundred feet deep. Holy shit. Well, that's good. If you, if you actually <laughs> fall there with a car, you got a nice drop. <laughs> You have a nice you have, so you have a chance of probably surviving the impact of the water, but you got to get out of that car quick, otherwise you're not coming up to the surface. Okay, it's not like you're going to wait for the car to hit the bottom and then you're going to try and open the door you're and just get out. End up like meeting the monster. Yeah, pretty much. Nice, cool. So that's scary. Um, it was terrifying, but it was also very fun. I will say though. The most disappointing thing about going to Loch Ness was learning that the Scottish Board of Tourism is trying to shut down the myth of Loch Ness. Okay, what what is that? So, like, the Scottish Board of Tourism? Yeah, well, why are they trying to do that? I didn't get an exact answer from any of the locals. You would would think think that maybe they've been milking that for, like, decades. Or they would want to keep, because it's like, it's a thing. Like, people come to, like, ooh, try and see the Loch Ness. I didn't get an exact answer as to why they were trying to shut it down. All I know is that I went to this town that is, like, the place to go for Loch Ness stuff. Like it had the Loch Ness Monster Museum. It was supposed to have like house all the research and everything that they've done. It also had like a mini golf course and like all the touristy stuff. Like yeah. it had the, the Loch Ness Hotel and like supposedly all the researchers, like they'll come and stay in that hotel because it's the Loch Ness Hotel. Um, and that in itself was a little touristy because like the – the restaurant attached to it is like designed on the outside to look like a castle and everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's gimmicky, but I definitely wanted to like go to that town and check it out. So I wound up staying uh, in an Airbnb in that town and it's pretty small. So like where I was, I could just walk the entire length of the town in about, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. And that was mm-hmm. about it. It was very small. But when I got there, I was very surprised to see that they had actually shut down the museum. Like the, big Loch Ness Museum that had like one of the original um, submarines that they actually used to like dive into the water that was on loan from the US actually. Mm. Um, they have it on display there but like all of the research, all the more serious stuff like they had just shut it down and there wasn't an explanation that I got. It wasn't like oh how, they're doing renovations. It how was, recent is this policy do you know? Uh, they shut it down. So I got there in July of 2019 and what I was told is that they had shut it down like four months prior. So I would look into the coincidence of any changes in administration or any political. I mean, thing I, I could. Up. I could. I didn't. No, what I'm saying is no. What I'm saying is if if we were to be interested in that further, that's sure. how, how we would look into it. Um, I, I'm just responding to the fact that you're saying that it's a mystery why they're doing it. 
Right. Well, and that was because, like, even the locals who I thought would have had, like, a little better explanation, especially because there was another Loch Ness tourist, like, um, hobby shop, collectible shop, and they had, like, a little attraction in the back where it was, like, a a light show essentially. So it's like, it's a pre-built, like almost Disneyland S path where they have, and I have a, Oh, you guys are seeing it now on the screen, but I actually have a picture of it. Um, and there is a, uh, like a built up, like papier mache. If I'm going to use the British way of saying it, papier mache. That's French. Is it? It's French. Yeah. Well, that's, I've only heard British people pronounce it that way. Right. So, um, because they're trying to pronounce French. <laughs> it means, um, it means mashed paper. Right. Literally. Well, if I was going to say. In French. If I was going to say it like a U.S. citizen, I would just say it was paper mache. Right. But look at the spelling. Yeah, I know. We, we can get into that another time. But the point is, is like, it's done up like this, like Disneyland attraction and you're supposed to go through there and there's like an audio track that plays of like pre-recorded people, like pretending to be historical figures. Like, you know, when I went down and actually tried to see the Loch Ness monster and blah, blah, blah. And you just kind of like listen to it as you walk through this experience. And then there's a little video at the end of it that kind of like distills the history of the Loch Ness monster into like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And, like, that was cute. That was fun. And I was like, well, what about the, the actual, like, main museum? Like, a block up. Why is that closed? And they were like, oh, that, that closed, like, a couple months ago. And all we've heard from the Scottish Board of Tourism is that that's just not something they're going to be supporting anymore. There was an agenda behind that, for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. But I was just, it kind of took me off guard. I was like, man, all I've wanted to do, like, with the Loch Ness is, like, go to the Loch Ness yeah. Museum and immerse myself for, like, a day in all of the cheesy stuff. Like I wanted to do the mini golf course. They had shut that down. I wanted to go. Uh, I did eat at the Loch Ness hotel restaurant for dinner and I did check out the other like tourist shop, but like, Oh, and I also took a boat cruise that was scanning for Loch Ness. So one of the things that happened there was like during the big, big movement, like when it first became real, like everyone was like, Oh, the Loch Ness, like we have to go look for it. And they were really trying to milk that. It was actually a government backed scientific research project to hire a fleet of ships and equip them with the latest technology at that time of like depth scanning sonars and radars to like, just put them all on a line and send them the entire way up the lock in a big line and just try and scan everything and see where we could try and find something. And after a while, you know, that, those ships got expensive to keep maintaining. So what they wound up doing, the researchers, was they took those ships in order for them to keep doing their scanning to this day and just keep doing it, was they turned it into a tourist attraction. So now you can rent out that ship for like, you know, an hour of you go around this point, you go around like the little, um, the little like jut out that has the castle on it. And you get to go see the castle from the backside and see it from the water point of view. But they're also doing it so they can actually continue their research. That's really smart. <laughs> that is really smart. I admire resourcefulness. Right. So, like, all of the people running these boat tours, like, they're legitimate researchers who, like, they just do their spiel about Loch Ness and But that's a really area. nice symbiosis. You know, I mean, the people that are interested in, in visiting and right. doing tourism are financing the research that digs up even more information on that right. very thing that those people are interested in. So that's a really smart exactly. entrepreneurial entrepreneurial yeah. how do you pronounce that? Um, entrepreneurial entrepreneur, entrepreneurial in initiative. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't speak English. Um, so that's great. That's awesome. 
I um, it it sounds very fishy. The whole locking down the lock. I agree. I, I don't know. Like the just the mythos around the monster uh, is really the part that they're trying to shut down. Like obviously, Loch Ness is a it has a lot more historic value than that for like. Uh, old trading purposes and like who used to own the castle and the reasons for owning the castle and why it was a strategic point to do that. There's all of that history still, but the Loch Ness monster part specifically is what they're like, let's just slowly kind of put this off on a shelf in the corner and just kind of forget about that thing. That was what I got from the people that worked there from the locals. If I were a more jaded, suspicious person, I would venture that somebody's bought the rights or somebody is in the process of trying to own the rights for like of said myth maybe but I mean I'm not that jaded <laughs> I, like I'm not saying that's what it is that's what I would say but, but not. so anyway cool so um, but so yeah that kind of that definitely kind of caught me off guard yeah for sure oh I bet it did it's, it's, I'm still recovering one ooh I will say one more, just the last thing I want to say about the Loch Ness thing. Um, When I was actually taking that boat tour, um, there was one little factoid that really just got drilled in my brain. And that's because recently I just got done watching the HBO series of Chernobyl. Hmm. And it's like the dramatization of what happened with the Chernobyl explosion and all that stuff. It's a really fantastic piece of television. Uh, Really well told story, I think. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but I know that they went through great lengths to make it at least historically accurate as far as they could. Um, But anyway, one thing that was really interesting that stuck out to me because I had just watched that was that in areas of Loch Ness, in deeper parts of it, in the sediment, there is still active radioactive material from the fallout of Chernobyl. Mm. That is just kind of that happened when it started um, after it exploded, and the clouds went or going all over Europe. Mm-hmm. That um, for fallout from that is still active and embedded in parts of the sediment in Loch Ness. Oh wow! And I was like, oh, that's really that's, scary. That's terrifying to know that there are radioactive parts deep in the loch. I just wonder how much we don't know about what. About the type of environmental disaster that we've triggered over the past century. Oh, a ton probably. But it was just interesting to hear that like, oh, yeah, we definitely have scans confirming there are radioactive portions from the Chernobyl disaster still in the lock to this day. Like we can't actually dive down in these parts because it's still radioactive enough. And that was just from the rainfall. (laughs) Wow. So that was uh, that was an interesting thing. Another thing that I really loved about Scotland, and I'm sure everyone who is native to Scotland is just so tired of this thing, but it's the castles. Oh man, they're beautiful. I've, I just saw they're, a couple. Of, they're so gorgeous, and it's just such a broad range from yeah. like completely decimated, nothing left but a few stones in the grounds, where you're like. I'm pretty sure this is where the castle was, where these, like, like you can tell these were a couple bricks. Yeah. And they're in a rough outline of this shape to castles that are still standing, well manicured, still lived in. Mm-hmm. And, like, just the spectrum to go from that. We show some of those in the in the trailer, don't we? We do, actually. There is a couple of, for you keen-eyed viewers, uh, there's a couple of those uh, in the spin section. Uh, that was from my trip. Uh, and there's some of those castles in those things. 
one of my favorite castles that I went to. So this was a portion of my trip later where my mother had actually come to visit and meet up with me for the last couple days of my trip too, because it was my birthday and it was my mother wanted to be part of my birthday and big 30 and everything. She was like, well, I want to be a part of it. So I was like, fine, meet, nice. meet up with me then. So she did. And the first night that she got there, she was tired and exhausted, but she got in so early in the day. I was like, okay, but I need to keep you up at least until like 10 PM so that you can reset your clock. So what are we going to do? It's like six o'clock. But I didn't know that Scotland, like St. Paul, everything closes at like eight (laughs) or like between six and eight because people are like, dude, this is my job and I want to get the hell out of here. I was like, I get it. But for somebody traveling here, like it just kind of sucks. What about the pubs though? The pubs were the only things that were really open. Pubs and restaurants. But you said anything else? When in Rome. (laughs) Well, I wanted to do other stuff, and so did she. She was like, I don't really want to go out and do a bunch of drinks. And I was like, I get it. Me too. So what I did was I wound up um, doing the thing where I just look up and see what's around the area. And I found out there is a castle. I was like, okay, well, does this one have a restriction? Because some castles, like, they're manned by people. Um, Even if they're ruins, it's like there's somebody on the premises at all times, kind Mm -hmm. of like keeping an eye on things. Right, right. Right, uh, but this one was actually one of the ruins that nobody gave a shit about anymore. <laughs> so it's like, what are the hours on it? 24-7. If you feel like walking out there, just fucking walk out there. Nice. Um, I was like, okay, that's really cool. So we went out and did that. It turns out the castle that we just randomly wound up picking, just from a – I looked on a map and I was like, there's a castle. Oh, it's open 24-7. Let's just go to that. It's about an hour away. Sure. So we did that. And it turns out this castle was the inspiration to Bram Stoker for Dracula's castle. Oh, nice. So, like, he had come here and seen this and seen how I much was... I thought it was in Romania. Oh, no, that's no, just no. the... That's where the mythos is. Right, right, right. So, well, he existed, Vlad the Impaler. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Like, that that whole story of the order, and everything. The like, Order of the Dragon, Dracula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, that was there. But the way that he thought about, like, in like when he was trying to think of, like, what does the castle even look like? He was in Scotland traveling. And he traveled to this location and saw this ruin and what was left over. And, like, I'll put some pictures up on the screen now of some of those things. But, like, the way that there's these multi-tiered arches and the fact that there's this underground cellar still that's still a burial oh. crypt. And it still has, like, the cutouts for where they put the bodies and right, right. The all ne- that stuff. Niche. Those are the niches. Yeah, yeah. And it still had all of that there, uh, which was terrifying because there's obviously no light there. So I'm trying to, like, use the little light on my phone. And I'm like, oh, I can't really see there, anything. Like you can walk around anything. Nice. There is a five-story tower that's still standing that you can climb to the top of like the spiral staircase all the way up how many no railings no anything like if you fall off of this and die you're just an idiot films do you think have been shot in that location i have no idea but it's something that i've like i haven't looked it up yet but i just know that that was the inspiration for when he went there to write dracula yeah like he saw this and he's like this is what i think of when i think castle like the yeah. uh, hidden passageways and the underground cellar and what the, is this castle called um yeah i i don't remember right now but it's on the screen now check it out this was the name of the castle ding little things like that were just really cool to like suddenly go to like one of these castle locations and it's just like oh I didn't even know like I did it by accident look at this those are beautiful happenstances the other big castle that I really wanted to go to so the whole reason I'm going to try and 
summarize this as best I can. The whole reason for me even going to Scotland for my 30th birthday is because my like centuries ago heritage was from Scotland. Oh, that's right. Because my last name happens to be Dixon, and it's spelled D-I-C-K-S-O-N. The reason that that spelling specifically is important is because that's the first recorded time that you would ever see in any side of Dixon's, any kind of them, D-I-X or anything, the correct way, the original way. Thomas Dixon is D-I-C-K-S-O-N and is recorded by a letter from Robert the Bruce saying that due to Thomas Dixon's glory on the battlefield that he had been granted land because of this. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time it had ever been recorded. So because Thomas Dixon was fighting with Robert the Bruce Mm -hmm. and had glory in battle with that, he was granted land and this was documented on paper. And that was the first time the Dixon name had ever come up. And it was later found out that he was the son of this guy who was the head of Clan Keith. So all Dixons are now grandfathered into the tartan of Clan Keith because they're all considered to be part of Clan Keith. Later on, I think it was just before the Battle of Culloden, the Dixon family name had become its own sort of clan. Which which, which one is the Battle of Culloden? Is it when the Scots finally, like... um, Managed to get the English to butt out? Uh, no, it was when the English came back and actually like shut it all down. So Battle of Culloden lasted less than an hour. Okay. And it was one of the final pushes of all the clans together to try and get rid of the English. And this happened more in the Highlands. Mm-hmm. So not all of the clans, but a good representation of clans were there. And the British wound up winning because the battlefield was so boggy that half of the Scottish army couldn't actually make it up to the front line to fight. And because the Brit- <laughs> because the British were so well prepared um, and had all of their rifles ready to go, they basically just encircled the half that did get there, shot them all down. And the other half that were stuck in the bog trying to make it there went, mm, okay, well, we see how the tide has turned. We need to get out of here. So they were trying to flee and then being shot down as they're trying to escape. Hmm. The whole battle lasted less than an hour. Holy cow. And after that, um, since the British had won, British rule started to become more and more of a thing there. So they started to shut down um, any sort of wearing of kilts, any sort of talking in Gaelic, Gaelic yeah. um, like really stripping down any of the practices that they had. Mm-hmm. And just trying to make them more proper British citizens. Mm-hmm. And essentially, that was the death of clans in Scotland, mm-hmm. was that point, was this Battle of Culloden. Okay. Okay, cool. Because I had just heard the story of the spider of Robert the Bruce. Um, what? You don't know the story of the spider? No, it's the story. So, wait, like a, spy, like a spider spider? Yeah, spider spider. So, there's a, there's a very famous story. It's a myth. So, I don't know if it's how real it is. I know it's a myth and it t- they tell everybody in, in British school. So mm-hmm. I went to King's College UK, by the way, for a few years. And it's a, it's a story about Robert the Bruce in hiding after like, I don't know, the sixth time that he's been defeated in battle. Yeah. And they've killed a bunch of his siblings. So I don't know if they've killed all of his brothers and they've one of his sisters is a prisoner or something like that. Really? Okay. And, yeah, yeah. And he's his army has been decimated. They're all in fucking hiding. And he's in a cave and he's just like demoralized, like mm-hmm. super demoralized. And he's watching a spider uh, that is trying to weave a web on the roof, on the roof, on the ceiling of the cave and just keeps falling 
and just climbs up and keeps trying to do the web. And he just, he finds himself rooting for the spider. Really? Is it rooting or routing? Rooting. rooting. It's rooting. Yeah. Rooting for the spider. Like rah, rah. And then as he gets like tangled and watching the spider, he it just dawns on him that I got to give it another shot like the spider is doing. So, like, I don't know if the spider. So he like realizes it's some sort of metaphor for his situation. Yeah. So he's watching the spider go at it and then fall, just fall, like and have to climb all the way up again and start uh, to throw a thread. And yeah. he, at the end, he's just like he's forgotten about all his woes and he's just like go spider, you know, some shit like that. <laughs> and then he just stops himself and he goes like, "Shit, I should do this too," you know? Right. And so, and what I thought, and this is why your story surprised me. But then I guess it's true because I remember from reading Robert Louis Stevenson that the, yeah. the, the English had stuck their foot on Scotland's throat. So yep. Def- definitely. But what happened after that is he actually raised an army and went out to battle the English again. So I had the story mixed up in my head that he had somehow prevailed in the end. But obviously, now that I think about it harder, I realize that he didn't because Scotland became uh, um, yep. dominated by the English. Yes. You know, and there's that story from Robert Louis Stevenson to Unkidnapped where the kid is hiding, he's a Scottish kid and he's hiding and he hears two red jackets. Oh I don't know yeah, if they're yeah. red jackets or they're soldiers and he goes like I heard the the King's English for the first time and they don't know how to speak English either. Because <laughs> they say Allo Ari, you know, like yeah. so they they pronounce so yeah, so anyway, so I just remembered that. So there's this <laughs> the spider story of Robert the Bruce is very That's awesome. very well known among That's school awesome. school kids. But yeah, um, so that was the whole reason I even took this trip was because of like that family lineage of going back to Clan Keith. And did you go with, with your mom, right? My mom was there at a certain point, yeah. And we went to like the castle and everything. So the castle of your ancestors? Yep, the castle of my ancestors. And how was that? That must have been. That was that was awesome. Um, it was very surreal to be there. Okay. Um my mom joked uh, many times, actually. She was like, well, look, you're finally home. Like, you've come all the way back. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was just really interesting to kind of see that and see the history, see this landscape and this architecture that's still standing there. Because oh, the, the your part, mother's not a Dixon, right? So she's kind of like with you no, for the ride. But she also has um, roots in Scotland through her family history oh, no from a different name that actually also came out of Clan Keith. Oh wow! So, so like, so you come from an incestuous relationship, if- in a roundabout way, yeah. But it came from two separate, really um, way. like centuries, centuries later. But right. yeah, both of the families came out of the same clan, clan Keith, split off, diverged, however many times, and then converged right back in Bert here. Ta-da! Amalgamation. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was the whole purpose of taking this trip, and I just think that was an amazing trip altogether. <laughs> Cool. Anyway, it sounds like an awesome trip because you did all these different, you know, it, it kind of has different facets, right? So you have the the friend reunion and the friend bonding thing. You have your mom bonding thing. Yeah. You have your alone. I had my zen, my, my, time. my zen time. Yeah, yeah. And to bring it all back to the connection to this yeah. like deep seated family thing, like yeah. it was really awesome. You got the drunk time too. There were times. There were times. That's me. <laughs> cool. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. I was really appreciative of uh, being able to just kind of tell this story in this format. Um, I actually have a lot more that I could talk about, so maybe we'll revisit this at another point I think in time. Maybe we should, yeah. Yeah, and I think there's a lot more history that we could tie to it as well. Um, but again, thank you guys for listening, and until next time. Stay out of prison. And walk in the shade. <laughs>